gospel is let's encounter Jesus and see what he does. Amen. And what he does is far more than what we can do. Amen. And uh, he can touch our affections and our desires. Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Today, I'm excited to share a conversation I recently had with a great friend, fellow pastor and co-writer named Ron Sitlow. Ron is the lead pastor of Calvary Church in Orland Park, Illinois. He shared his story and his biblical wisdom in two different books. I had the privilege of co-writing his first one called Compassion Without Compromise, and he wrote a follow-up book called Hope for the Same Sex Attracted. Ron is a man deeply committed to the gospel and to seeing Christians actually live out the kingdom life that Jesus died to give to us. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, well, I'm sitting here with Ron Sitlow. Ron, how you doing, brother? Good, Adam. How are you? It's good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too, my friend. In the Chicago area. You came down here. I know. We're, we're heading over to, uh, we're in the process of going over to Wheaton College for a big evangelism conference called Amplify at the Billy Graham Center. I'm excited about that. That's very cool. And you're getting a little vacation time, right? I am. I'm taking the week off. I love it, man. But for you, baby, I'll do anything. <laughs> For those who, who do not know, Ron and I are, are friends. Uh, we've we've had a friendship over the last last few years, and actually wrote a book together, and and have have uh, been partners in ministry too. So, brother, it's good to be with you again. It is great to be with you. Um, so, Ron, one of the things I love to uh, uh, let people do is for those who might not be familiar with who you are, just share a little bit about your your ministry, what you're doing right now, and how you got here. Yeah, I uh, grew up in the church, fairly dysfunctional home. And uh, when I was 15 or 16, I fell away from the Lord. And for about five years, uh, I really entered into the shadows. Uh, part of that had to do with uh, same-sex attraction and exploring that and drug use and addiction and alcoholism. And so when I turned 21, uh, I, uh, I was very broken and lost and didn't know where to go. And a pastor had reached out to me, and I knew about Jesus, and I assumed I was going to heaven when I died, but uh, I was in hell right then. And so uh, this good man walked with me and brought me into a community, and Jesus met me and changed my life. And over the next five years, uh, it was the only way I can explain it is the nearness of God, uh, something that I've only experienced one other time in my life. And uh, I did was you have changed. like a lightning bolt moment? Was it well, um, kind of yes and no. You know, I met Charlie, the pastor, uh, a couple years before I got sober, and uh, I would have moments of sobriety and moving into the light, and then I'd back off and back and forth it would go. But in the summer of '97, uh, I had this moment in my parents' garage where. Uh, the Lord visited me and became very clear I was making a choice between life and death. And uh, he showed me who I was and what I was becoming. And uh, I've never, I wept, I wept, I, I wept as I saw who I was. And that was the beginning. That was, uh, from that moment on, I became a follower of Jesus. Wow. But it was a process to get, oh, for sure. To recover. Yeah. So, uh, 
it was really years of real discipleship. And I was lucky to be in a church where they did that seriously. And there were people who could do that. And they walked with me and I began to get free. And there was a lot of things going on there in my soul and my heart. And uh, it took a good five years where uh, I was ready to live the life that God had given me. And uh, it was it was good, but it was hard. Yeah. And uh, in many ways, I'm still living that out now. Yeah. Well, we all are yeah. in one way or another. But so yeah, I I sometimes I, th- I think about church, and one of the things that always haunts me as a pastor. I mean, we especially as you grow, as your church grows, as you get larger, you got people you know they're walking in and they're walking out on a Sunday. Uh, you're hoping that they're getting connected. You hope that you set up structures for discipleship. But it sounds like for for you. If you had just entered in a church where you could sit in the back row and not be involved, it wouldn't have been enough for you. You needed community. You needed a group of people who knew how to help you. Yeah, not only was it not enough, I've come to believe that it isn't church. And so I've... Uh, Unpack I've, that a little bit. What do you mean? Yeah, so, you know, I, you, all of us, we've I've, I've pastored or been associate pastors in very large churches, and I've also been part of really small communities and everything in between. And what I am learning is that, uh, and this is you know maybe not very reformed, but our Sunday church service, the preaching of the word and singing a few songs alone does not uh, grow up a person. And we have put all of our marbles in that bag, and the result are the Christians we see all around us. Very immature, weak, uh, duplicit, and uh, I was blessed enough when I became a Christian that my church really thought I could become something different mm. and praise God for that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what discipleship is. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it's following in the footsteps of someone who's leading you somewhere they've been. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, which, which is, was a game changer for you. So, yeah. so now, now share just a little bit about your, your you're in, uh, uh, here at Calvary Church. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry here? Yeah, we are a church in the RCA. Reformed Church in America. Reformed Church in America, and we're a church about a 1,000 people, and we're launching uh, our first multi-site in Oak Lawn in the fall, and uh, we also have a a multi-site in-house to Arab Americans, and uh, led by a a very godly optometrist, and uh, we care really, what we've really been focusing on is being a champion of the life of Jesus and making it as winsome as possible, uh, but making it substantive so that when people want to figure out what Jesus meant when he says that my burden is easy and my yoke is light, that from the depths will come torrents of living water, that we could actually do it. Wow. And uh, we, we are infants in it but we're trying to figure it out and uh, we're excited about it and what's so interesting is it's the ones who are lost who are most willing to do it not the found (laughs) and uh, so this whole idea that evangelism or discipleship that you have to somehow make it a McDonald's meal is just simply false we, by McDonald's, you mean, you mean just dumb Cheap, it down, make easy, it easy? easy, dumb it yeah. down, yeah. five minutes in, five minutes out. Uh, it's just not true. 
the more lost you are, the more you know it. <laughs> and uh, that's the gift of lostness is to go, wow, I don't know where I'm at or how to get to where I want to go. But so maybe someone else does. That's 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 awesome. I think I, it's increasingly if the church doesn't do that, then it's just going to we're going to be obsolete. Yeah. Or we're going to have to make a message that's so palatable that it really has lost any sort of edge of truth yeah. to it. I mean, that's the only way churches will make it. If we don't go deeper, we're not going to we're not going to make it in in a world that's so more obviously broken. Yeah. Than, than we might have imagined even a decade ago, right? For sure. Um, I, one of the things I love, I remember talking with you when you were taking the call to come here. Uh, some of the, this church's story is also one of recovery, isn't it? I mean, they've, they've, it is. yeah. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Uh, one of the most beautiful things about this church is the pastor before me, who served for thirty years. Uh, somewhere in about ten years in, uh, it became very obvious that he had an alcohol issue. And that was significant. And, you know, that was the early 90s. And, uh, you know, in our circles, a little bit more traditional circles, uh, ethnocentric circles, uh, you know, it's fine if you have problems, but just don't tell anyone and definitely don't bring it up at church. (laughs) And uh, what this church did, which is beautiful, is that uh, they confronted him, but they made a way for him. And it was, it was a path of, you know, let's deal with this, but this is your home. And wow. if you do your work, we'll do ours. And they took a real hit for it. People left. People didn't like it. Uh, but I am convinced that that stream of mercy that's at this church uh, is because of that decision. That's beautiful. And uh, I'm thankful for it. So that was 10 years in, and then you served for another 20. Yeah. So that just has to characterize the culture of this place. Yeah, you see it so everywhere. Yeah. yeah, which in many ways it, it places you in a in a spot where I you know I know your your ministry um, run run as I said earlier Ron and I wrote a book together called Com- Compassion Without Compromise: How the Gospel Frees Us to Love Our Gay Friends Without Losing the Truth. You've also written another book uh, helping people who are are dealing with that 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 book sort of dealt with how do we handle this as an issue. But then you wrote Hope for the Same-Sex Struggler. You want to talk a little bit about that book and its premise? Sure. Uh, what I'm interested in in this you know, conversation with Christians who are dealing with same-sex attraction is, is there good news? Uh, does the gospel do anything? And uh, more and more, you know, in this whole conversation of gay Christians and celibacy or gay marriage, is uh, what I think is being lost is the transformative power of the gospel. And, you know, he's not a butler and, you know, who just gives anything to anyone who wants it. But you can't read the scriptures and uh, not just feel in your bones that this Jesus is radical and powerful. And uh, so the whole book is, you know, it's kind of based upon 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. And uh, homosexuality is in that list. And so what I was interested in is seeking to give pastoral advice that is kind and gracious, but also uh, true that you have to pick up your cross. (laughs) Yeah. Which is true for all of us, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing is that, you know, same-sex attraction uh, doesn't make you weaker. It's just your thing if it's your thing. And like get up with the rest of us and crucify it. And let's see what Jesus does in death. And uh, 
when I read the scriptures, it says that he brings life. And so let's see Amen. what that looks like. So well, as I'm as I'm conversing with you, I, I, I feel like if, if, if you were to give a message to me right now, it would be um, the issue is, is not that we, we're setting the bar too high in this area of sexual brokenness. Um, the issue is that we've set the bar way too low for everybody else when it comes to what it means to be part of the kingdom. Amen to that. The kingdom of God, mercy is absolutely free, but to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. And that's a truth you've lived. Yeah. I think in a way that a lot of other people yeah, maybe don't. Yeah, in, in my own broken, immature way. But what I found, you know, we always think, boy, that's cost so much. But every time I've said yes to the kingdom, uh, what I've experienced and what has been given to me has been far more than what I've given up. Yeah. And so I've gotten the better end of the deal. It hasn't <laughs> been like, oh, following Jesus is horrible. It's like, no, the problem is always me. Yeah. And uh, when I get over myself, I find good news. Well, when he, one of the amazing things about following Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and even as we stumble forward, it's uh, I, I love it when suddenly you find out, man, my appetites have changed. Like this thing that I used to be so hungry for that even when I was consuming it, I knew it wasn't good for me. Yeah, I, I knew it was destructive to me, but I needed it. I wanted it. When you follow Jesus, it, it's it's amazing thing when he actually touches you at the level of desire. And suddenly... That's the gospel. Yeah. That is the gospel. It's not. We're not Mormons. We're not trying to see how straight and narrow we can get with behavior modification. Uh, the gospel is, let's encounter Jesus and see what he does. Amen. And what he does is far more than what we can do. Amen. And uh, he can touch our affections and our desires. And then suddenly you find yourself, the things that you want are the, are the things that give you the most life, the most joy, the most peace. Yeah. But what, though you don't get there without taking up your cross. No. I am uh, convinced I'm 43 now. How old are you? 44. Oh, Got so, you by a year. Yeah, but, yeah, I see some gray up there. <laughs> right here. Uh-huh. Uh, is that... You know, I always think about what is the purpose of suffering and uh, where I'm living at right now, because I've dealt with some suffering, not as horrible as others, more than some, is that suffering is the means in this short period of life for God to do in us what he cannot do in any other place. And so these decades, uh, we ought to expect suffering because it is the fire that prepares us for eternity. And uh, I have, these moments of being in the valley have been some of the most profound, intimate, life-growing, beautiful moments of my life. Now, I don't want them, but they have been nothing but good for me. Amen. And uh, that's good news. Well, we're walking in the path of the cross, yeah. right? We're walking in the way of Jesus. We said discipleship is going where someone else has gone. And thankfully, Jesus went to the cross of God's justice and wrath against sin but uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have to take up the, 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 the cross of, of yeah. God's we're killing not, sin in us. <laughs> we're not earning anything. No. We're becoming something. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like anything that's worthwhile, becoming that thing, uh, it requires something yeah. of us. There's no getting there without it. Whether, whether you want to play an instrument or play a sport, yep. you've got to dedicate something to it. Why should it be different with yeah. the most important issue? Yeah, I want to sure. have a soul that's worth having. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So, Ron, we, we've uh, y- y- you talked about kind of your history uh, dealing with the issue of, of same-sex attraction. Obviously, in our culture today, uh, sexual brokenness. I mean, what we're referring to is, is sexual brokenness or like the need for, uh, for healing or something God wants to transform in us. The world is giving a very different catechism to us, right? Uh, yeah, for that sure. message is not going to be welcomed or received in the world. And so that, I mean, that's one of the reasons we wrote the book we did, because we, we know that sets up all kinds of challenges for the, for the church. How does it set up challenges for parents, uh, for, for parents who say, I, want, I don't want to be, I don't want to withdraw, I don't want to shake my fist at the world, I want to be engaged, I want my kids to be engaged. But how, how, what, what kind of challenges are parents, should parents expect to face if they're going to stand for the gospel in this world where a different kind of catechism is being taught to, maybe taught to their kids in the public schools? Yeah, I have uh, four boys all in public school, and for the most part, it's a wonderful experience, and we love the teachers, and we love the parents, and we love the other kids. Uh, what is interesting is this catechism, you know, all my kids have heard about gay identity, uh, LGBTQ. And what uh, ages are we talking about? Uh, as young as second grade up to eighth grade. Okay. And so it is part of the vernacular. Yep. And uh, the, what they're hearing is, uh, you know, th- these are just people making different choices based upon who they actually are. And what this means for parents is, I mean, I suppose you could just say, don't, you know, we don't believe that. And, you know, turn on TBN or something. <laughs> but uh, what, what I'm trying to do with my kids is to make them think at, at the level of worldview. And uh, so we have real conversations about what is the purpose of sex? What is the purpose of the body? What's the purpose of marriage? And uh, thankfully, Christianity has thought through these things for a couple thousand years. These are not... This isn't our first rodeo. Yeah. And, uh, and so... And my kids, you know, my my kids are always like, well, what if we don't think the way we, you do? Or And so it's, it's a good question. And what I tell them is like, well, I want you to strive for the truth. And when you find the truth, I will be happy. And so, but I don't want you just to take something in just because someone said it. I don't care who says it. And uh, I like that because uh, there is a, there is an indoctrination, culturally speaking, that's happening that is now our culture, and if it isn't questioned, uh, it, it destroys the good news. How? <clears throat> I mean, just I, I. How in the world do you did you handle that? I mean, I got to be honest with you. If, if, if my kids came home and they're like showing me what's being taught in class, my internal, at least, if I didn't say anything, at least internally, my, I would be freaking out. I'd be like, "What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? How did how how did you handle it?" Without freaking well, out. Well, let me tell you one of my moments of being a good parent. So <laughs> I have about 400 examples of not being. Uh, for me, you know, my, my kids are developing well as young men. And uh, this is, it seems to be more of, it's not about what they are experiencing internally. Yeah. So that is another issue. And so what I'm seeking to do is... I'm playing the long game with them. Yeah. And the long game is is that they're going to go to high school, they're going to go to college, they're going to have friends, and for the most part, it's going to be a very uh, permissive, you know, identity-rich culture in which you can be and do anything you want. And so what I'm seeking to do is to help them build a, f- a foundation and a framework of thinking about those things, not telling them what I think. 
And so, I mean, they know what I think, and we've talked about it, but uh, I'm not sure if if blanket moral imperatives about this or that will actually keep them from doing it. Because I had all of those as a young man, and I did what I wanted you yeah. know, in my time of rebellion. Uh, so you're just kind of praying that your kids aren't quite as, as uh, stubborn as <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't have a father. Yeah. And so, you know, I had one of my kids dabble a little bit in pornography, and uh, I came very close, and, uh, and I became very present. And we talked about it, and we uh, we had numerous conversations about what it means and what it does, and why it is a whisper of good. But if you go down that cave, it will kill you. And the one son, he heard it, mm-hmm. and uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. Better to have it when you're, you know, a young adolescent than when you're thirty and you've destroyed everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I do pray a lot for them. But I'm present, and at the end of the day, you know, I deal with all kinds of families. If I had to say the number one issue in families with kids who are struggling is that the father is absent, either physically or emotionally, and uh, there's hell to pay. Yeah. Such a short amount of time that we have. Yeah. I mean, I, you and I both think about that as dads. I yeah. mean, I remember even when we were writing our book, it was like... What are we doing? It's like yeah, I know. in the midst Madness. of crazy busy, crazy busy pastoral ministry, speaking, doing different things, and, and now we're writing a book too. But I, I think, yeah, I think you and I both in the same way have, have had a deep sense of like, you only have one shot at this with these kids. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say that one of the things if we, as parents, I mean, you know, outreach for us begins with our own children. Uh, we, we have the advantage of having a worldview that is not just something to be believed but something that is actually has explanatory power mm-hmm. this the, the christian worldview can explain what's going on yeah. better than anything else out there yeah amen and that our goal is not necessarily to we, we're not seeking to indoctrinate the same way the world does we're seeking to build bridges of communication and to uh help our kids not just tell them what to think but how to think yeah absolutely is that what you're saying yeah with the with the knowledge that truth is the person of Jesus. Amen. And any uh, person who honestly pursues the truth will find him. I believe that with all my heart. And so what you want with your kids or with your friends is for them to express their doubt. Not to tell them, you know, don't worry about it or no, that's wrong. You're going to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, bring the doubt with me. Because I can help you. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to bring out their doubt in community college or in 12th grade philosophy or wherever, and uh, you might lose them. Yeah. Boy, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, the moment that they they think you're not the person to talk to about this, because I already know what you're going to say. Yep. (laughs) That's for sure. Right? Yeah. seems to me that's probably a good model for speaking with friends that we have who might be out there in the world uh, who um, maybe someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction or someone who knows oh, I know what Christians believe about this and that their, their natural tendency is to, is to build up that wall and say we're, n- we're not even going to go there yeah. how, how do you just I guess we have a few couple more minutes left but 
You know, Ron, I, I can imagine our listeners out there who are listening in on this conversation. We've talked about kind of the, the power of the gospel to transform lives, the, the call of the church to, to call people into deeper discipleship, and then dialed it down even just into the family, how we build these bridges of communication. I want to I let you, uh, I'm going to put a ball on the tee for you and ask you to help help me. I'm, I'm Say I'm sitting there with someone, and they know I'm a Christian, and they're not necessarily someone who's who's asking from a, a place of personal struggle with their sexual identity, but there's someone who just says, like, like you're a Christian, right? Yeah, I'm a Christian. So they're testing you, and they they say, so so do you do you think someone can be gay and be part of your church? How do you handle that? Yeah, I would. Uh, this, in other words, how, how do you handle when people don't know if you're safe or not? Yeah. I, uh, long ago, I was mentored by a guy named Todd Hunter, who uh, is now a bishop in the Anglican Church. And uh, he said to me one time in one of our meetings that uh, it's good to be quiet unless a bus is coming at someone 60 miles an hour, and then you have a moral imperative to save them. And the more I've grown, the less I've been concerned about fixing people's ideas. Because at that level, that idea has deep roots in how they see the world, how they consider justice. And to deal with that at that moment would simply lose them. And so I would simply turn it around and say, why is that an important question? (laughs) And uh, why does that matter to you? And uh, I would always seek to make it about the person of Jesus and grow from there. That's and beautiful. that's what I seek to do. And uh, so he's good news. When people ask questions, they're saying something really important about yeah. themselves. They're opening up their hearts to you. Yeah. And it's in that moment that we have an opportunity to say, are we going to turn this into something that leads to further relationship and gives us a chance to exemplify Christ even more? Amen to that. Amen. Amen, brother. Hey, it's good being with you. Thank you for coming out, and uh, you guys are a blessing. I really appreciate you, brother. God bless. Bless you. Man, I love talking with that brother. I hope you'll walk away inspired and challenged. I know I was. Ron has a way of calling people into next-level discipleship. I'd encourage you to check out his website at ronsitloud.com. There you can also find links to books he's written. You'll also find great resources for ministry and for your own spiritual journey. I want to also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, (laughs) this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life today.